Let's now turn to the scriptures that are here in our text. We are in Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11. I am going to ask you this question now uh, as an introduction. I'm thankful that Christ taught us how we ought to listen to his word. How Christ taught us how to listen to his word. How does Christ tell us that we should listen to his word. If anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. Mark chapter 11. Okay, uh, I am convinced, and I'm thankful for this, I am convinced that one of the joys of preaching through a text uh, sequentially like this, which is what I've been doing for years, it's been my practice for as long as I've been a preacher, uh, 20, 27 years now, is to preach to it. And what, what, one of the reasons that's so powerful is it keeps me from getting um, on a hobby horse. It keeps me into new topics that I might not choose. It keeps us fresh and can potentially keep us on our toes. And what we've noticed, for example, in the last, uh, the last uh, three, three times we've been in this text in Mark, we've observed things that we might not, especially as enlightened liberals in San Francisco. I'm just kidding, I know. Only some of you are enlightened liberals. Uh, so, uh, and, and God forgives that too. And, and so, and if I, he forgives enlightened conservatives, thankfully. But that what we do is, is that we notice is that we've been looking at uh, a God as uh, uh, the God of blood, the God of blood. And it was my contention that part of my purpose as a preacher and our as a community is to start picking up the things that people don't like about Jesus and owning them. So they came to give my life as a ransom for many. Blood, slavery, he uses the word for manumission in the sale and the purchase of people to describe his work of love. Not pretty language, not comfortable language, not politically correct, disturbing. Then we looked last week, or two weeks ago, sorry, at uh, the God, so this is the God of blood, and the God of, the God who is king, and is sovereign, is sovereign work. And we are, there we realize that one of the reasons we don't like the idea of God as king potentially in this generation is, is, in the triumphal entry is because we in San Francisco are a city of kings. And every one of us has our own throne. And so the idea that a king comes, like Jesus, in this triumphant entry in which he has control over the donkey, he has control over everything, from the atoms to the work of kings, he is king. We don't like that because we're kings. Our own kingship, our own authority is being threatened now. We're going to the next one. God is, this is the big one. God is, Jesus is, the judge. God is judge. All right, we're going to see an enacted parable. We're going to see a, a fig tree wither. And we're going to see Christ get angry. He comes to judge. All right, let's, let's read it. Let's read it. Mark chapter 11, triumphal entries just happened. Now, on the following day, when they came 
from Bethany. They weren't actually living in the city. They were coming and going back and forth to Jerusalem. He was hungry. And seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves. For it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. And they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying, it is, is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations? Uh, but you have made it a den of robbers. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it, and they were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him, because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. As they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered them, Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt it in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also, who is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. Let me pray for the Holy Spirit to fill us. Dear Father in heaven, I pray for power with your word, but your power, not just not for me, for all of us. Power for us all together. You glorify yourself that way. You show us. You reveal it to us. I'm no wiser than these people. We all seek a wisdom that comes from you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. This is um, what is described as Christ. One, his only destruction miracle. His destruction miracle. Kind of interesting to read uh, to read this sort of uh, commentaries on this, especially commentaries from the nineteenth uh, nineteenth century, because they, they tend to they tend to get really really kind of fussy about this, especially people who are very critical of this text, because Christ is seen as being peevish. Uh, it seems almost kind of weird that the fig tree is not even in season, and and it's easy, I think, especially as enlightened. Uh, enlightened liberals in San Francisco, enlightened people. It just seems a little weird, doesn't it? Seem a little harsh. It doesn't even seem very environmentally friendly, does it? Come on, that's, 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 come on. It doesn't seem a little arbitrary. Seem a little bit sudden and quick. And uh, but I think what part of our failure here is, is 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 right on the surface of it: the fact that none of us are farmers. 
None of us, and we don't live in an agrarian society, and agrarian metaphor doesn't, it doesn't pop. It doesn't sing. It doesn't, it doesn't make sense to us. In an agrarian society, if a tree doesn't bear fruit, what do you do? You cut it down. It's a waste of space. It's a waste of ground. It doesn't make any sense. Now, but then you're thinking, yeah, but it wasn't even in season. And now you're, you're getting to, this is not a moral, this is meant to be, there's something else that's going on here. Christ has some intent. And of course, the agrarian, the agricultural, the, farm, the farmer metaphors are all over the Bible. And we're not as biblically literate or as biblically sensitive as some of these men would have been. And they remember and they see it and they know that the whole idea of the vineyard and a fig tree. <coughs> um, a fig tree is a, a version of prosperity. It's talked about in Micah. It's a, these, and so these, this is meant in this culture and its literature and its experience to be a, like a show and tell. Like a real easy way for you to see something. Real clearly and vividly. Nobody would have been offended. They're like, oh, the poor fig tree. Did anybody think about that? Did anybody in their heart go, oh, poor fig tree? Yeah, you did it, Del. <laughs> so it tends to, it tends to, it's, a, it's odd, and, and it attacks some of the sentimentality that we have about, 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 about uh, nature and things like that. And it, wow. But then did you notice that the fig tree bracketed something? Now, this is very Hebrew. It's very, a beautiful Hebrew stylistic effect. And the Hebrew stylistic effect is to take an idea and insert it as if, as if it were a nougat center of a candy, as if it were the center of the lollipop with the Tootsie Roll, as it's the centerpiece, and the centerpiece between the fig tree being cursed and the fig tree being seen as destroyed what happens in between? What, what, bra- what, what happens inside the brackets? The temple. And the scene of the temple. But some of the, there's a, there's a picture. Uh, one, of the, one of the synoptics of Christ, like, um, he like picks it up and he starts making a whip. I can't even imagine how dramatic this must have been. I mean, can you imagine this? This bay comes and he starts braiding a whip. And I, I, I can you imagine the disciples standing going, what's, what's, he, "What's he doing? What's what's going on?" The visit, this text from the from the cursing of the fig tree, and what appears well, on the outside of a kind of peevish and devastating, and the devastating the uh, the miracle of destruction comes this Christ who who just. Doesn't even under, does he not understand like just etiquette and kind of, like, come on? I mean, can he just tell them they're doing something? And he's violent. He's throwing tables over. Um, they're moneylenders. You know, uh, uh, the shekel had to be exchanged in the temple, so there had to be somebody there to take the Greek and Roman coins and turn them into acceptable currency for the temple. So people were start charging usury. They're charging interest. And their money rates. It was a 4X in the temple, right? Foreign, foreign currency exchange. People were making money. And then, you know, it's all, look how convenient this is. You know, if you have to uh, give your sacrifice of pigeons, well, don't worry about getting a pigeon. Just go to the temple. And I know, did you hear the prices? Are upsc- I know, they, they, they upscale everything. And if you notice, there's no pigeon sellers within 10 blocks of the temple. They must drive everybody else out. 
boy, we, so I have a business idea. Let's undercut the temple. And let's say, this is the kind of conversations that are going on. And there's, a, and there, and there's, and there's money to be made. Christ is furious. He quotes Isaiah 56. My, my house must be a temple of prayer for all nations. And then he quotes Jeremiah 7. You have made it a den of robbers. What's the picture here? Christ is judge. I don't know if you're comfortable with that. Part of me, I have to resist the temptation as a as a modern urbanite to try to apologize for Jesus somehow. Like, uh, I don't want to tell you this, but you know, Jesus is really kind of judgy. Yeah, he's very judgy. Very. <coughs> Let's talk about that. God is, Jesus is, God is, Jesus claiming to be God. As the text claims he is, he is judge. He is God the judge. By what standard? And the first thing I want to do out here, Rick, right, get this out, let's get this, get this out of the way, because I think many of us have a problem, although it doesn't really make any sense, although it tends to be hypocritical and inconsistent, whether actually this generation's rejection of the idea of judgment is absurd. It is. Everybody's, you know, pushes off any kind of judgment. And, has, and, and as I listened and watched, and as I listened to the rhetoric of the elected politicians right now, and as I listened to the rhetoric of the women's march, everybody's being very judgy all the time. But nobody wants to be judged. It's a really absurdly inconsistent practice of our culture. And there's all this raging judgment against one against the other. And this anger. We talk about God as the judge. What are we talking about? By what standard? I want you to hear how important this is. Uh, I've, I've talked about this before. Um, Everything, we, everything, everything that there is, everything that there is, we, the universe and everything, we, call it, we can call it reality. Reality. Not to be confused with a, a wonderful local church. But this reality, reality, all that is. And what we tend to do, what you follow here, is we tend to think that the universe and God, we're all a part of us. We're all a part of reality. We're all part of all that is. I want to tell you, that's not the biblical idea at all. God, God is the king, the judge, and he's completely different than the universe. Why is that so important? All right. Um, what we do with God is we say, here's God, and here's, here's I'm going to pick on somebody. Uh, who's kind of judgy? Um, anybody want to? Megan, okay, good. I'm glad you said it, Megan, so I didn't have to. All right, so, so what, God, what Megan might be tempted to do with God sometimes is to say, look, God and I are accountable to some sort of rules, some sort of ultimate idea of justice. And I have a bone to pick with God, or maybe God is, but we all get it because we're all part of reality and the universe together. That is not at all what is happening here with the fig tree and the temple in any way. It is not the way Christ is dressed. It is not his glory. It is not his majesty. And you do not know he is very God and very God until you see, he says, no, I am judge, period, by my own self. I am the standard. I am 
Gosh, you, you remember, uh, I just remember something. As it Alice in Wonderland? I'll be judge and I'll be jury. <laughs> Cutting old fear. I'll try the whole cause and condemn you to death. God is judge and jury. He is the standard of all justice in himself. He is not accountable to another standard because that would mean there was something greater than him. And so Megan has no recourse. You see? I have no recourse. This is the stunning fact that just kind of that attacks our modern sensibility so profoundly. God, Jesus is judge. <laughs> the judge. And there is no other standard than himself. And this, this text this is why it kind of disturbs us. He owns it, doesn't he? He owns it. He owns it as a figure of nature itself and how the molecular structure of a tree brings forth fruit down to how his house, and that's what he's talking about, his house now. You see how everything gets very personal. He is the judge himself. What's the point of this? I think two things Maybe three. Three things are going to be helpful here that I want you to absorb. First, and you're not going to like this, you don't get to criticize God's judgments. You don't get to. Beware. Because he is personally the judge. When you criticize God's judgments in this world and the way things happen, when you would criticize and you would bring offense, if Megan would bring God in the dock and say, I have something against you, what does God say to that? You get, a, you get, the, you get the impression that you might want to build a table in front of God where you could do some commerce. What does God do with our tables? He throws them. Worship God, judge. God the judge, Jesus Christ. So in one sense, so there's that critical spirit. But there's another, there's another way we can respond to this too. And the critical spirit that says, I want to criticize God, is guilty of sin. Guilty of a sinful offense against the person of God himself. But there's another person too. And that's the person who likes God as judge. And kind of gets a kick out of it. This is the person that says... Yeah, I like God as judge because he's on my side. Right? Like God is your pet judge. Anybody ever done this before? God is your pet judge. He's going he's gonna to judge people the way you like him to. He's like a little, can you, do you hear how offensive that is to him? <laughs> he is your pet judge? No, he's not. If there's anything about the marching power of Christ over the molecular structure of fig trees and the work and business of the temple of his worship, is that he is not that, he's not that person. He is not the pet. He is not owned by any political party otherwise. He is king. He is judge. And there is no other. And the judge of all the earth, as Abraham prophesied, shall do right. It is impossible otherwise. So whether you like to criticize God or whether you like to own him as your buddy, you don't get to do either one. 
What's the third factor here? I want you to hear it in this text. God is always coming to judge. He's on his way. It's part of the dynamic of the text. It's like judgment's coming. And some of you might be saying, I'm not ready. It doesn't matter. The victory wasn't even in season. What's Christ saying? I see this all the time. Um, I want you to have a sense of the imminence, the imminent nature of God's judgment. It's coming. It's on a deadline. Um, have, you ever, have you ever watched the tow trucks on the Embarcadero at 3 o'clock? Have you seen this yet? So if you're, if you're driving down the Embarcadero around, this is 3 or 4, I think it's 4, it's 4 o'clock. If you're driving down the Embarcadero at 4 o'clock, you will see five, maybe six tow trucks in a row. Lights are flashing. And they are going down. There's a little ticket. There's a little ticket person in front of them. Put the ticket on the car. They're in there, and they, they do it so quickly. And they clear out the next one car. And then they go to the next car. It's, it's almost, it's uncanny. And every time I've ever been there, every time I've ever seen the trucks, this happens on 6th Street. It happens on Embarcadero. It happens in different places where traffic is supposed to open up for rush hour. And whenever you see it, every time I've seen it, there's always a car there. So there's always somebody, some knucklehead from out of town or something who's left his car there, right? And they're all, and every time. And, but the weird thing about watching it is how kind of relentless it is. It's not, it doesn't stop to ask any questions. It's not stopping on anybody's time. It's judgment. And you get this sense of imminence. Judgment is coming. The threshing is coming. The tow truck is coming. What are we to do? Would you look at me at the, uh, at the, look at me, look with me, I'm sorry, look, look at me, look, look with me at, uh, at verses uh, 22. Verses 22 and following by many interpreters who are hostile, you hear this, who are hostile to the integrity of the text, hostile to the idea that Jesus is God or his, his claims are authentic. People who are hostile to that think that this is an interpolation, that this is a phrase said by Jesus elsewhere that was imported here and just kind of cut and paste without any sense. The people who say that do not know the scriptures with the power of God. What's, what do we do with God's judge? What's Jesus' response? They see the fig tree. Now, these, these guys are not stupid. They know the agrarian images. They're, 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 they get it. Look, the, the fig tree you curse is withered. And they're, they're putting the dots together. And what does Christ say? What does Christ say? Uh, have faith in God. What's the answer? You are not permitted to criticize the judge of all the earth. And he is not your pet judge. And he's coming to judge. What do you do? Christ knows. Put your faith in God. <laughs> Run to God. 
what, the, what those interpreters who try to take the text apart don't get is that Christ knows what the answer to judgment is. Faith and trust and commitment in his own work. So how shall we understand Christ on the cross? He is the object of judgment upon you. Displaced on Jesus. He is the object of that judgment and that onslaught and, and the inevitability of judgment. Christ is so aware of it because he knows he's going to a cross. So what's his advice to his disciples? Have faith in God. And now run to God. And this, this imperative language here is so vivid. It's, it's get faith. It's get faith in God. And put your trust in the one who saves. The remedy for judgments. The remedy, the antidote, the placement, the substitution for judgment. The ransom for judgment. The one whose blood is the cost. The one who pays the fine. The one who stands in judgment for us. And Christ's words to me are all the more remarkable because he understands there is only one antidote to justice, the justice of God and the justice of Jesus as judge. And that's his own blood. You know what I love about this text? Is um, this wonderful hatchway opens. <laughs> One of the things you could be asking yourself, I think if we talk about God as judge, one of the first questions we're going to ask ourselves is, once you're done thinking about whether you can criticize God or not, is, is he okay with me? Am I all right? Am I okay? Is God going to be all right with me? He's coming to judge. Um... We looked in the, in the Corinthians passage and said we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. On that day, everything Peter has said, done, and thought will be put on display before my Father in heaven to be judged. What will you say when the X-rated movie of your life and heart plays? everyone what will you say Christ tells you my faith is in Christ I got faith I have seized faith in God he is my hope oh Christ is well, alright so I've wanted today just by way of my responsibility with the text to paint a vision of God as judge and to cause you to fear and not try to own it. Fear it, not try to criticize it. But instead do what? Run to Jesus as he tells you. As he's telling you right here, I have faith in God. And what he's doing right now as I've entered Jerusalem, Jesus is saying. But Jesus has a wonderful take. Uh, he goes completely sideways on this. And he winds up painting a vision for the church. Why? There's an old expression that judgment, it's from the Bible, judgment begins with the house of God. And, uh, and so it happens in the church. And by the way, if, anybody, if you ever the idea that being a Christian means you get to judge San Francisco for being such a miserable uh, sin hole of the world, you got another thing coming. You have another thing coming. That's not our response. Because where does judgment begin? It doesn't begin in San Francisco. It does not begin in the Castro. It does not begin on Market Street. It does not begin. It begins 
in this room with the people of God. As much as I want you to have a vision of God's justice, I want you to have a vision of his saving love in Jesus. But what else? Wait. Wait. We are totally released from judgment. Into what? A house of prayer. See, Christ, Christ creates vision. By the way, have faith in God is in the plural. These are all in the plural. You know, whatever you ask for, it, you receive in my name. These are promises for a, for a community. They're not just individual promises about your faith commitment to God. They begin there, but they be, find fulfillment where? In a vision of a new community. Because what you, look, look, there have been endless criticisms against the church. And some of them are unerringly true. <laughs> and one of them is Marx, Karl Marx's criticism. That the church has a function. And it's an opiate of the masses. And it's meant to be a super, some, some sort of painkiller. So that those who suffer can live. It has some purpose. Some manipulation. Maybe it's wealth. Maybe it's power. Um, how are we not going to be a den of robbers? You see, I always think, like, I'm a church planter, okay? I, mean, I came, I was called to San Francisco to plant a church and to start a church, which means I need people to give money, sign up, be a part of the community. You know, I'm right on the edge half the time of setting up a table in the temple to do business. And so are you. We constantly take religion and turn it into something that can get us somewhere or work something for us culturally or work something for us socially, or work something for us psychologically, or work something, and we're always setting up tables, we're always building tables, and we forget that Christ, when we're building tables, is building a whip, because he will not accept a community of manipulation. What will he accept? What will, what will stand the day of judgment? Or what, and what will be cursed like a fig tree? Like that fig tree. I want to be the fig tree that bears fruit. I want us to have that together. What does that look like? We will become a place of prayer, claiming the miracles of God. Do you know on the Mount of Olives where he's talking, he could see the Dead Sea. It's just barely visible on the horizon. And he says, if you take this mountain and cast in the sea, it'll be done for you. And he's using a visual palette here. He's explaining, you see it. With this whole, do you know what I'm here to do? It's so much greater Mercy trumps judgment. Are we the place of mercy? What happens? What's the fruit? And so Christ goes right there. Instead of exchanging money and getting what you can out of ministry and manipulation, what is happening? When you stand in the temple praying, what? Forgive. So that you will be heard. What is the new community? What is the fig tree? What's the fruit? What's the fig tree of first press? What are we, what's the fruit? What's the fruit? A people of prayer, a people of faith, and a people of forgiving love. It's the new kingdom. It's not the place of judgment. It's the place of preaching Jesus saves and loves sinners. It's not the place that seeks to figure out why they're wrong, 
but how Christ and wonders at how Christ has made us so right with him. It's a vision for community that's just mind-blowing. And I, I think, and in one sense, the church has always been in this danger. It's always been in this place. And I see it has happened in this generation. And there's a, there's a temptation to want to be relevant to the world, right? Or somehow have political power or have a moral majority. And every time the church does this, it wants to abandon what? The clear, unequivocal preaching and teaching. Jesus saves and in his blood, sinners are cleansed and they escape the judgment of God. And is the glory of a sweet and beautiful gospel whose work is Elena and me and Frankie and Peter being a people of prayer, faith, and forgiving love. No tables to do business. No manipulation. No bargains set with the Almighty. How do I want to end this? Sorry. Come to this table here. We come to the table. Of, this is a table of judgment. It's a table of blood and guts. Christianity is a disturbing religion. Blood and guts. Blood and guts. We come with thankful joy and awe. The God, the judge, is satisfied. In the blood of his son for me. What do I say to you with the judge who is coming? What's my, what's my, what do I say to you, Johnny? Get faith in God. Have faith. Put your faith in God now. What do I say to you? Let us be together. Let's together have a vision. We'll be a house of prayer. Asking for a God who works his wonders. What's one of his greatest wonders? Men and women who lovingly forgive each other. And broker the gospel all the time. Let's pray. Dear Father, I was coming to this uh, message and I was thinking about uh, preaching and teaching it and what it means to announce you as king and judge, how we resist it. And Father, uh, we humble our hearts before you now. Maybe some of us are not humbled our hearts then help us to do so. We do not own your judgments. You are not our pet. And, uh, and we have dared sometimes to criticize your judgments as if you were accountable to us. But now you are the judge of all space and time. What should we do? How should we appear before you? And I hear your words, my dear Savior. Your command to tell us to put our faith in you. To put our faith in you. To put our trust in you. To put our prayer to pray and forgive. And to be a totally new temple as your church. And we thank you for this word. We thank you for your love. And we praise you even for your judgments. In Jesus' name. Amen. On the night our Savior was betrayed, happens within a week of what we're reading right now, this morning. On the night our Savior was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. 
saying, this is my body, which is for you. Take and eat. The same way he also took a cup of wine, saying, this is my blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. Take and drink. Here, a table of judgment and execution becomes a table of life and forgiveness. How? Have faith in God. Put your trust in God. Put your trust in God. So, I want to ask you, if you're, if you're a sinner who seeks to escape judgment by trust in Jesus, this is your table. This is your table. I will tell you, if you're hoping to escape God's judgment because you're a good man or a good woman, because you're a good person who's worked very hard to be a good person, you do a lot of good things, and you march a lot, and you do a lot, you give a lot. If you think that you will escape judgment because of your good works, I have very bad news to give you. You set up a table in the temple to do business with God. And until you, until you throw that table over, you're not worthy to come to this table. You can't set up a table to do business with God and come to the table of love. You can't. Both tables cannot exist in the same place. So if you believe you're a good person, this is not your table. Finally, if you find yourself kind of holding the things I'm saying skeptically in your heart, and you feel deep skepticism about my claims that God could judge or Jesus is the judge, I respect that. Well, let's talk about it. But please watch our ritual and our right. Please watch us as we do this. And, uh, and I hope you'll be envious and want to know God the way we do. All right, so let's do this now. We're coming to the end of our service. Our first response to the message of God and judgment is to take communion. It's our application. It's where we, if you wanted to say that command, get faith in God, here's a good example, right? Just come up and get it. Come and get it. And so uh, this is our table. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to stand. We're going to say the Nicene Creed together. And after we're done saying the Nicene Creed, we're going to come forward as we sing the last song and get the elements. Will you take the elements back to your seat then and just uh, wait and we'll all eat them all together. As people are coming forward, as people are coming forward, um, uh, let me see here. I'm, I'm going gonna, gonna to pick on somebody real quick. And uh, Johnny and Rochelle are going to do this. Yeah. Um, this is what the mustache gets you, Johnny. All right, you get new authority in the church. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Johnny and Rochelle will be here, standing over here. They'll be praying with children. So you want to bring your children forward? They'll pray over children. We want to honor Christ's love for children as well as part of our communion. So uh, they'll be praying for the ch children as you bring your kids forward. And we'll come and we'll go back and we'll uh, eat the bread and wine together. And uh, we will, um, and we already had a mishap in the back. It's all right. He, yeah. And then uh, we'll be done. All right, please stand. Please stand. Tell me, Christian, brother and sister, what do you believe? We believe in God, God, Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, 
begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of life, very God of very God, begotten and not created, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven, was incarnate by the Holy Spirit in the womb, and was made man, was also crucified by Pontius Pilate. When he suffered and was buried, the third day he rose again, according to the scriptures, and ascended into heaven, and sits at the right hand of the Father. He shall come again with glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom shall have no end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets, and we believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins, and we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Come.